Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Two weeks ago, we were having a conversation, according to Peter, it's a sermon series we've been in, we've been walking through, literally verse by verse, these two letters that Peter wrote to the church. And these two letters come from a man, it's the same man we read about when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and the Apostle Peter that's there, but he's really a different man, because he's been walking with Jesus. There's some maturity that has come to him, and so now these letters in 1st and 2nd Peter really help us see a maturity it's here. And the whole of the letters are very, very powerful, but this specific section um, that, that we're on is very, very important because P- Peter's been talking about marriage. He's been talking about our marriage relationships. And the last time I spoke, the last time I shared, Peter had six verses where he pretty much told the women, this is how to be godly wives. And I made you a promise that I would bring into the next message what Peter has to say about our husbands. So The several ladies that have caught me between two weeks ago and even this morning, yes, I am not letting the men off the hook um, at all. I was actually really proud. I met a man in the the back of the room this morning saying, hey, you're talking about the husbands, right? We came this morning to hear about the husbands. And uh, so today, having completed the six verses from Peter for the wives, I'm going to cover the one verse he has for the husbands. Ladies, he ain't going to remember anything more than one verse anyway, so don't, don't, don't act like you're getting, you're getting left out and that, that this isn't, this isn't going to happen. Truth is, and you'll see here in a minute, this is a long verse. This is a long verse, and husbands, look at me. You're going to be spending the rest of your life unpacking and implementing and striving toward the things that Peter um, puts out in, in, in this letter here today. So I need to start, I need to start by taking you back um, to the beginning of this section and remind you about Peter's approach to marriage. And when I visit with couples about marriage, I usually use a triangle illustration. I shared that with you last time, right? God's at the top, and you have a husband and a wife on this side. And here's, here's how it works. You've got an individual growing relationship between God and this husband on this side, and an individual growing relationship between God and a wife on this side. And as they grow closer to God, what happens to them? They grow closer together. And too many couples get that wrong and they think we've got to grow close together and they leave God out of the picture. And that's not how this works. You've got to have an individual growing relationship with God. And as I get closer to God and Kayla gets closer to God, we inevitably get closer together. That's how I talk about it. But Peter had a different approach to this. Peter talked and he started with Jesus. And this is huge. Jesus is the example. You can't do this marriage thing God's way unless you follow God's example, and his example is Jesus. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Look at this. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And he tells us what you're going to face, especially in a marriage relationship. He says he committed no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges 
justly. Now there's a lot there, I wanna unpack it. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. The Greek word there for revile means to say harsh things, to, to give verbal assaults. How many of you wait until somebody says something wrong to you and then that gives you permission to say all the things you've been thinking about anyway, right? I'm not gonna lead in a verbal assault, but by gosh, if you come at me, I'm gonna tell you a piece of my mind in the middle. This is what he's saying. Even Jesus himself, when he was reviled, when harsh things were said at him, he didn't retaliate. He didn't revile himself. He's given us a picture. He's given us an example. Some of us in our marriages need to understand it's okay if they come at you. You don't have to come at them back. I teach my kids that you're responsible. You know what responsible means? You're able to respond correctly when somebody brings something to you, when somebody says something that's harsh or it hurts, you don't have to retaliate in the middle. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Could you imagine being able to end every bit of suffering, every bit of pain, and every bit of hostility in your life with just a snap of your fingers or a blink of an eye? Jesus himself was fully divine and fully human at the same time but he did not threaten. He didn't take cheap shots, he didn't retaliate. He was focused on his obedience rather than his comfort. That's an example for us, that's an example. And lastly, from the same verse, there's only one way to do those things in a marriage relationship, look at this. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What are you, what are you talking about? Here's what I think Peter would say. This is according to Peter. Doing marriage by God's example is possible, but only if you entrust yourself to him, not to them. You got to trust yourself to him, not to them. Well, I would obey if they would just fill in the blank, right? Well, this would be so much easier if she would just blank, Right? Well, God, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering over here. And here's what he would say. Entrust yourself to me. I know. I see you. You're right there. I've got you. Verse 21 tells us, for to this you have been called so that you might follow in his steps. That's the example. And from here, it splits. We covered this last time I, sp I spoke and shared with you. From here, he goes and he starts talking about the wives. And he uses this word, likewise. And that word likewise means basically in the same way. With the example that Jesus gave us, here's how wives are supposed to act and respond and behave. And then he does the same thing with the men. He goes back to this word likewise, and here's the intention, to remind you that just how the women have to act like Jesus, the men have to act like Jesus too. Likewise, here's the example. Here's our one verse to the husbands. Y'all buckle up. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise. Husbands, all the example, everything that I just gave you that Jesus did. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, how am I doing so far? Ladies, how am I doing? Okay, one of you. One of you. All right, all right. Men, here's, here's, here's what I want you to understand. I think you can handle the truths that he's presenting here, but you're going to skip over several of them if we don't walk through it. Here's the first one. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding 
way. What's he talking about? What, is, what does that mean? A more literal reading is to dwell with them having knowledge. But that word for knowledge is this, to know by firsthand experience and personal interaction gained by a direct relationship. It's a little bit more than a head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. Here's what I think Peter would say. According to Peter, learning how to love a wife is not the same as knowing how to love your wife. Think about that for just a second. Learning how to love a wife is not the same as knowing how to love your wife. you got to get to know her. It's going to take time. You have to study her. You have to learn her. You have to experience her. You have to learn. She doesn't like it when you say that. You can't, you can't say it that way. She doesn't like the mountains for a vacation. She prefers the beach, right? It's, it's, You've got to know her personally. She doesn't like it when you don't share your food at the restaurant, right? She, she doesn't like it. You've got to know that. If you don't, if you don't know that, I can't, I can't help you about loving your wife. When she comes to bed in a turtleneck, don't touch her. Don't, don't, don't touch. Is, it, is, that, is that just me in my, in, in, in my, in my relationship? In, in the middle? Listen, come, come to bed in a turtleneck, and I'm, I'm over here saying, challenge accepted. <laughs> Early on in our relationship, I, I, I went all out. I mean, we, we had been married for maybe a year or two, and I'm Stopped at a jewelry store and bought her all this jewelry and think I'm going to be a good, good husband and give her gifts and, and that. And I, I noticed she never wore it. She never wore the jewelry. I'm, I finally, I just asked her one day, I said, babe, I, I, you know, I, I bought you jewelry. She's like, oh, I love it. It's beautiful. I'm just not a jewelry girl. I'm just, I'm just not a, guys, how many of you like get your hands on a, not a jewelry girl? I, I just, I, I've got that locked down for you. And, and husbands, I'm not saying don't buy your wife's jewelry. I'm saying you got to know your wife, and there are things that my wife prefers, and jewelry just isn't one of those things that I've learned in our relationship. Let me tell you what it is not. It's not jumping to conclusions and prejudging a situation because you think you already know. No, you have to seek understanding. Kayla and I have this phrase we use in our relationship, and here it is. It says, help me understand. Husbands, remember that phrase. Help me understand. I remember coming home from work early in our marriage, and Kayla has always had young kids in the house. Um, for as long as, as we've been married, there's been little ones around, and there's always something going on. And I would come home and had been working all day, and she's been with the kids all day long, and I would do the best that I knew how and hit the door, love on the kids, love on her, and then I would just start cleaning stuff. I would do the dishes, or I would vacuum, or I'd straighten pillows and pick up toys and all this. And she used to get so aggravated with me over, over, over that. And I'm thinking, golly, you know, you know what I wanted to say in that moment. You know how many women would love for their husbands to come home and clean up and do dishes and do all of, uh, I, I think you're missing something here. I am God's gift to marriage for you. <laughs> And I don't understand why this is, this is, why are we fighting over me doing chores? I could understand us fighting over me not doing any chores around the house and leaving everything to you. But we're, we're actually having a little tiff over the fact that I did the dishes when I got home. And here's, here's what I learned. I learned this about my wife. You have to understand. You got to live with her in an understanding way. I said, baby, help me understand. And she was so gracious. And she said, listen, I've been doing a lot. And when... When you come home and you just start cleaning, it makes me feel like I didn't do a good job 
all day long. She said, what I really would enjoy is if you came home and said, hey, what could I do that would be the most help to you in that moment? She said, well, I can do that. And every time I get home, hey, babe, how was your day? Oh, it was good. Hey, what can I do that would be the most help? You want me to take out the trash? You want me to do the dishes? You want me... Do you know what she said? Take the kids. <laughs> take the kids. Matter of fact, I can think of a few times I would come home at the end of the day, and she's like, oh, I love being with the kids for another three hours. Do you just clean the house? No, she's like, you take the kids and go and go. You got to live with your wife in an understanding way. Y'all following what I'm saying? And see, that's just head knowledge about a wife. That's not experiential knowledge about my wife. Men, it's not just enough for you to learn how to be a good husband. You got to learn how to be a good her husband. Be a good her husband. First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I love that Peter uses the word weaker. He doesn't use the word weak. Read it. it it's, she's the weaker vessel. Men, look at me. You're weak too. You're weak too. It's not like he's saying, hey, show honor because you're the strong vessel and she's the weaker vessel. We all know the women in this room are probably a lot more strong than the men in many different areas. Nobody's going to amen that? <laughs> Guys, I'm setting you up to like get, you some, get you some brownie points here. Here's the advice my pastor gave us on our wedding day. Her wedding ring is dainty and it's delicate and it's sparkling. Um, mine is thick. It's scratched. She takes hers off when she does the dishes. I leave mine on when I change the oil. And he says, there will be days when you'll want to take off that ring and give up, and you need to rub the bottom of that stronger ring and remind yourself that every man of God can handle a meltdown every once in a while. Doesn't mean that she's weak. It just means that she's weaker than you. But I think there's more to it. And you have to remember the culture that Peter's living in. Women were second class for most of the world at that time. Women were property. They were a commodity. There was no voting. There was no speaking in many places. There were places where women weren't even allowed to go. Think about that. Imagine going to church, right? And you guys get to the door and you split. She goes to one part of the room and you go to the other part of the room. We, we don't have that context here when we read this, but you need to understand some cultures of the day would abandon the second or third daughter at birth because they were expensive and inconvenient. Yeah, you don't think about that. When you, when you read this, there's a cultural concept here. And, and by the way, that's why Christianity was spreading the way that it was. You know, the fact that women were equal and had equal access and, and equal rights before God. That's not something that just came about in the American society over the last 30 years. The church has been after that for a long time. And that's what we're seeing in this. Here's, here's the cultural concept to the word honor that we can't miss. Here it is. It's this. To honor means to give weight to. To honor her as the weaker vessel means to give weight to. And here's what I think Peter would say. According to Peter, give weight to her. She can handle more than you think. Give weight to her. She can handle more than you think. Give value to what she says, what she feels, what she's thinking. Yes, she's weaker. Don't you dare let her carry the full weight of spiritual leadership within your home. 
but don't treat her like a doormat either. She can handle this. The first person I ask after every public engagement, every time I speak, the first opinion I seek is my wife's. The first budget conversation I have is with her. Wanting to know if my jacket looks good with these, this shirt and these shoes, I ask her every day. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, just because I'm called to lead us, doesn't mean that she can't lead me at all. Do y'all see that? Yeah, there's, there's weight that needs to be given here. There's a leadership principle that, any business owners, how many business owners, leaders, you're up there in the ranks, nobody wants to acknowledge that today? Here's, here's a great leadership principle for you. Sometimes the best decision a leader can make is to have that decision made beneath them. Right? There's somebody closer to the ground. So you think I'm going to go in and make all the decisions about our kids without consulting my wife? She's closer to them. She spends all the time with them. She knows better than I do. When it comes to parenting decisions, I give weight to her. I show honor to her. Y'all with me? I don't abdicate my leadership by including her. I strengthen it. I strengthen it. Ladies, how am I doing? Better? Better? Men, how am I doing? The men should be louder in this room. Hey, side note for single ladies here in the room. This is relevant. I know I'm talking about marriage. I know I'm talking about relationships. But to the single women in this room, you need to learn what to expect. Single men in the room, we see you looking when the hands are raised, looking for the ladies that don't have the wedding rings and all that. Listen, in this house, you better step it up because the women are learning what men need to be doing in this. Verse three, or chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs, the word there is joint heirs, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I love how Peter takes a minute to remind us that all of this growing, all of this stretching, all of this changing, all of this maturing isn't just so we can have a great marriage here on earth. There's a future. There's an eternity. There's a destiny for us, a way to live today in light of the eternity of tomorrow. But remember, he's talking to husbands, and there's some heaviness here that we can't skip over. The grace of life, he's talking about eternal life. And joint heirs, here's what he's saying about your wife. Here's what he's saying about the women in your life. They have a joint heir, an equal claim to that eternity. It's not that you're the husband and you get to heaven and she gets to tag along. No, no, you've got a relationship with God. She's got a relationship. Y'all are joint heirs in this. Here's what Peter would say. According to Peter, she has as much claim to eternal life as you do and more so if you treat her wrongly. Gosh, Pastor Don, that's, that's kind of harsh. You mean to tell me that my relationship with God will be hindered if I don't treat my wife the way Jesus gives for me as an example? Look at my face. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's saying here. Chapter 3, verse 7. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, look at this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's a great phrase that describes that word, hindered. Here's what it means. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Introducing an obstacle that stands sharply in the way of a moving object. That's what hindered means. Husbands, listen to me. I think Peter is after you trying to tell you that he's so excited that you're moving. 
He's excited that you're growing. He's excited that you're pursuing him and having that relationship. But here's what he would say. You don't get to just have a relationship with God if you're married. You also have to have a relationship with your wife. And not only that, how you treat her will depend on how well this relationship with God happens. Can I get somebody besides a man here to say amen? You're growing and you're following after him, but if you're a husband, how you treat your wife will become an obstacle to the movement that God has in your life. Yes, your priority relationship is Jesus, but as a husband, you don't get to serve God in isolation from how you treat your wife. Now, yes, my wife wants me to love her. She wants me to treat her in an understanding way. She wants me to give weight to her. She wants me to treat her like she has the same access to God as I do. And that's not why I try hard to do all of those things. I do them because that's what God asks of me as the husband. Y'all hear that? I'm, I'm not just doing all of these things because I love this woman. I do. But I'm doing all of these things because I have a relationship with God. And that's what God has asked of me. And here's what I found to be true in my life. Every time I rely on her to give me something that I need, I end up disappointed and empty. But every time I rely on him to give me something I need for her, he always meets me. I'm never without. I always have enough. I have this conversation regularly with my oldest son, Cole. And I I tell him, listen, I didn't decide for you to be the firstborn. God did. I wasn't given a catalog. I couldn't, you know, didn't, didn't choose. I'll take him first. You know, it, it didn't happen that way. God, God decided that you would be first. And he decided you would be the oldest. And he decided you would be the oldest of five. And he decided that you would have little brothers and little sisters. And there's some responsibilities with being the oldest. There, there are also some privileges that come with being the oldest. But I need you to understand there's responsibility there. God must know something about you if he puts you First, husbands, look at me. God must know something about you if he puts you in that leadership position. He must know that you're able. He must know that you're capable. He must know that you can handle it. He must know that there's something he put there on the inside. Remember the last time when I told you that the wife's greatest fear was having to submit to a man who wasn't submitted to Jesus? Anybody interested to know what I think the husband's greatest fear in a marriage relationship is? Listen to this. Here's the husband's greatest fear. That he would be unable to lead or not be good at leading his family spiritually. I've seen men paralyzed. Paralyzed. Good men who just don't know how to lead spiritually in their homes. Nobody ever showed them. I'd ask for a show of hands, but it would, be, it would be difficult for all of us to see the number of men here in this room that did not have a godly example of a father in their life. Listen, every man knows that he's called to lead, but not every man knows how. Not every man knows how. Men shy away from areas where they don't feel successful. You do realize that, right? We, we shy away from areas. Now, now, give me something I'm good at. Oh, I'm, I'm there all day long. Right? Some of you wonder... Why, why will you fix everything around the house, but you won't sit down for 10 minutes and talk to me about what God's doing in your life? He feels successful with what he does with his hands. He's never learned how to communicate with his heart. So he shies away from those areas where he's not successful. Why do we have men who spend all their time at work? 
because they get praised there. They feel successful there. They walk in and they're the hero. And they get home and they feel like they're this tall because they don't know how to do it. And nobody's taught them how to deal with that kid or with the daughter or with the teenager. And they, they can deal with the coworker because they've been doing that for 20 years, but this 13-year-old is about to wear them out. So they're going to take that extra shift and shy away from an area where they don't feel successful. Ladies, this has a huge impact on your relationship when you understand this. If you have a man that is shying away from something you know is a God-given responsibility, look at me, he probably doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to do it. It's not that he wants to. I've never met a man that doesn't want to be the leader of his home. And I've never met a woman who doesn't want her husband to lead spiritually in their home. Yet why do we have this gap? Why do we have this gap? Pastor Don, I want him to lead and I want him to be the spiritual head of my house. But he isn't. He isn't. And I've seen this time and time again. Listen, here's how it works. He hasn't been leading So she's had to. She's had to lead. Now he's come to the Lord, his relationship is growing, and he's trying to lead spiritually in the home, but she doesn't trust his young and inexperienced leadership, so she constantly intervenes. Constantly intervenes. Listen, that intervening isn't submission. She doesn't realize she's not undermining his authority, she's undermining his confidence. Your husband wants to lead, but you got to let him. Wives, you have to be willing to let him lead and let him fail, trusting not in his track record, but in God's plan and purpose to make him a leader in your home. Entrust yourself to him, not to him. Entrust yourself to him. But God, I've been serving you for 20 years. And I'm so grateful that my husband is coming to church with me. But there are things in his life that I see. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. How can I submit to a man who isn't following you the way that I know he needs to? Listen, I'll tell you how you do it. You entrust yourself to him. You don't entrust yourself to him. You entrust yourself to him. And you encourage him. And you champion him. And you you strengthen him. And the husbands that I have seen excel in their own spiritual leadership have wives who've learned to trust God and let him lead even when he wasn't very good at it. It's got to start somewhere. Name me one thing you were good at the first time you did it. And I want to breathe some life into your relationship. Man, I want to bring some hope. You can do it. I know you didn't have anybody in your life to teach you how to do this. I know you've got the Bible, but sometimes, gosh darn it, it's hard to read. I read things in there, and I'm thinking, I'm going to spend my whole life trying to figure this out. You know, I was talking to a man the other day, and he was like, yeah, you know, the Bible, I've, I've pretty much done everything the Bible says to do. Really? Because, man, I've been at this for a long time, and I'm still stuck on Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and don't exacerbate your children. I can't get past those two, much less anything else. But ladies, look at me. God gave you that husband because there's something that he's put in his leadership that you'll benefit from. 
I don't know why in God's sovereignty you started serving Jesus before he did. But I promise you, God's got a plan. God's got an order. And if you'll let him, he will become the leader God has called him to be of your family. And it's really neat when you see this played out. I tell you guys this all the time. I, I wish you knew all the stories. I look across this room and I see couples and, and I know the struggles and I know the challenges and I know the victories and the things that they overcome. And I, I try as often as I can to share you some stories. Can I tell you a story? Y'all, y'all good to see a story. This is, this is a story in the works. God's not done. But man, he's well on his way. Well on his way. Many of you know Brody and Adrian, and I'm so proud of them. Adrian grew up in church, but she never really knew God. Brody, not at all. Not at all. And they got married because that's what you do when the kids come, right? That's what you do. Neither one of them really knew what a marriage was supposed to look like. And it wasn't long before the brokenness of their own lives magnified inside of their marriage. You, don't, you do know that marriage doesn't fix relationships. It just adds weight to them. If there's brokenness going into a relationship, marriage is just going to make it heavier. And that's what they found. Man, Brody worked a lot, loved his job, but wasn't around to help with the kids. I remember, I remember Adrian telling me, you know, I, I resented him for that. I never had any time to myself. It was always me and the kids, me and the kids. And she said, but I felt guilty. I felt guilty because he was providing and he was providing well and I I could be home with the kids, but that guilt turned into resentment. It's easy, isn't it, to become resentful when you're expecting something from somebody that you should only really be expecting from God. And that resentment, it's not easy to keep inside and I remember listening to Brody talk to me about that bitterness knowing that his wife was alone on the inside but raging on the outside and her resentment toward him pushed him away he was lonely on the inside but felt disrespected at home so guess where he'd spent most of his time at work at work work became an easy escape. Now I'm going to shy away from the areas where I don't feel successful and I'm going to go all in because God's made me to work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be successful somewhere. They couldn't tell me who was the first one to bring up the divorce word, but they both knew immediately the exact date it became a reality, January of 2022. People respond to pain and loneliness in different ways. For Adrian, she found a new church. She found a new church and tried to get some new friends and really wanted to try to salvage something out of her relationship and the rubble of her life. Brody, and I was so proud of him for letting me share this, he did the exact opposite. He just went and found another relationship right away. Just jumped right in to another relationship. New relationship, though, Guess what? Same loneliness, huh? New relationship and same loneliness. 
I think it would have stayed that way had Adrian not followed a friend into a freedom group. She says, hi, I'm Adrian, and I'm filing for divorce. That was how she introduced herself in, in the group. And you should hear her tell the story. You need to ask her if you know her. She says, it was in week seven of our freedom small group. We were talking about forgiveness. When God gave me the forgiveness that I desperately needed from him, but also gave me the supernatural ability to forgive the man that had brought me so much pain. She now had a relationship with God. Brody told me one day, as he recounted the day bringing the kids back to the house, she was different. Couldn't tell me exactly when, just remember the moment he brought the kids back and spent some time with him. And there was a noticeable, marked difference in her. She asked him to come home, and he did. But the, but the shame of what he had done when they were separated was real and heavy and still he was still very, very lost. And you got to understand what was happening in this process. The church was surrounding her. Many of you loving on her, helping her, encouraging her, strengthening her. She sat on your couch and cried and listened. And you shared she told these ladies in her life their husbands about her husband that she didn't have anymore trusting and believing that God would do something and you should hear Brody recount the time that he came to the new church this church with her here's what he told me I was so blown away the people that knew her and knew everything about me loved me anyway the love that you had for him brought him to a revelation maybe God can help me maybe God can fix me because listen if there's anybody that would have a reason to judge or kick him to the curb it would be the people in this room that knew from her what he had done. But aren't you grateful for a church that loves and knows? There's no perfect people in here. And if there is, I'd love to meet you afterwards. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Today, Adrian's co-leading others in the same type of group that brought her freedom. Brody's in a freedom small group for the first time. Hey, and they don't miss Monday night prayer. They are in, they are in. Both of them taking next steps and I'm watching them get closer and closer to God they're getting closer and closer to each other and here's the best part they're watching their two boys thrive in a home where daddy's no longer just providing financially he's learning how to lead spiritually that does not happen 
That does not happen apart from a church. That does not happen apart from Jesus. That does not happen apart from the men in their lives. I remember Pastor Sean calling me and saying, hey, I've been, I've been walking with Brody. They come on, on Monday nights and we've got a separate environment. If, if you're not comfortable praying out loud, we, we just talk through some of the points and Pastor Sean had been teaching Brody how to pray. And Brody said, all right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. When I pick the kids up, I'm just gonna pray. I'm just gonna pray. I don't know who was more excited when Brody prayed over his boys for the first time. I don't know if it's Brody or Pastor Sean. It takes men in your life. Brody calls Terry every morning. They both commute. He's learning how to be a man of God because he has put men in his life. Husbands, you've got to understand, God doesn't expect you to just know how to do this, but he has absolutely put people in your life to teach you how to be the man that he's called you to be. He never leaves you alone. Every earthly relationship you should have had that you didn't, God brought a spiritual relationship. They may not have done it in the name of God, but God used them. God used them. And he's brought you here. Look at me, church. This will be a house built on strong marriages.